English Standard Version. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. I've already been wonderfully introduced this morning. I'm Papa. And that takes me back uh, a number of years to when Mia and I were working in the Chattanooga area. Our, our oldest daughter was, of course, in the audience. And when I got into the pulpit one Sunday morning, I heard a small voice go, Hey, Daddy. <laughs> and I said, Hey, baby. Uh, and she was, How old was Allison then? 20, 21? She was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but it was so cute. She still is. One of the things I did not mention in the, in the welcome this morning is, uh, in addition to our change in format this morning and doing the Lord's Supper after the lesson, we're going to go immediately from this lesson into the Lord's Supper, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to make sure that you had your emblems in hand. Uh, and, and our elders, our, our, our shepherds got together and, and decided it's been a while since we've really talked about the, the significance of the Lord's Supper. And they asked me if I would speak on that for the next two Sundays, and I'm happy to do that. Not only was I happy to accept that assignment, but also just in, in studying this rich subject made me appreciate why we gather around this table every Sunday morning. And I hope that after we talk about and think about and look at some passages together this morning, that that will enhance your appreciation for this simple memorial feast as well. You think about what we see in our country, literally around the world, but especially as we travel the roads of our, our 50 states, uh, you see all kinds of uh, bronze plaques that tell you about some significant site. But even more than that, it's very difficult to go into any city of any size without seeing some statue, some monument there that's commemorating some person who has, at least in the minds of certain people who put that there, uh, has, has contributed to our society in some way or the other. Honest Abe sits on his throne of stone in Washington, D.C. Some of you have actually seen that. George Washington's greatest feats are memorialized on, on canvas and even on our coins. Vietnam's casualties of war, of course, are etched in stone on, on the famous wall. I'm told that it's very difficult to look at that wall and to see all of those names that are inscribed there without feeling tremendously emotional because of the sacrifice that those men have made for our country and for freedom everywhere. JFK's flame on his grave is said to be eternal. MLK's birthday is now a national holiday and, and then perhaps not quite so serious, but in the minds of some, just as important, Michael Jordan's jersey has been retired and now hangs in the rafters. There's all kinds of ways that we can memorialize and pay tribute to the contributions of people to our world. So those statues and monuments are, are raised to, to honor people and to honor the accomplishments that people have made in our world. Calendars date the world's most important events. Maybe you look at your calendar on some regular basis and you might even see that there are some that are, are, are printed in red to remind us of the significance of that date. Scenes of outstanding battles are forevermore marked accordingly. And everybody who's anybody, you know, has a biography that lines a, a, a shelf in a library somewhere. So this morning I want to talk about monuments. 
and to ask the simple question, how do you evaluate and how do you determine what is the world's greatest monument? And since we have already talked about, and Sam has been leading us in all of these songs, you probably sang some of these songs and and thinking, all of these are Lord's Supper songs. Well, that's exactly the design. And, And all of these things are intended to get us thinking about this simple monument or memorial that our Lord established before he left this planet. How, how do you choose which one of these is the greatest? Is it the tallest? Is it the widest? Is it the most valuable? The, you know, that it took this much money to be able to actually make this and, and, and to put it in place? Or, or is it the one that is most visited by, by tourists? I submit that the world's greatest monument did not originate in the mind of man, nor was it designed by some renowned artist. It's not even recognized by most historians. It's it's picture isn't regularly taken. It's not mentioned in any travel magazines because it originated. Don't don't miss this. It originated in the mind of God. And it was set up to honor his son. And not just that, more, more specifically, to honor the sacrifice that his son made on that old rugged cross almost 2,000 years ago. So think about this. For 10 to 20 minutes on every Sunday, Christians around the world gather at least figuratively around a table. And we commemorate the Lord's sacrifice for lost humanity. That is significant. Now, I don't know about you, but as a member of the Lord's church, I've had the conversation a number of times by people who said, but taking it every Sunday, does that not become trite? Do you not just find yourself going through the motions? And the answer to that is emphatically no. I appreciate it all the more. Every Lord's Day, we're reminded of what Christ did for us. It keeps it in the very center of our minds, and it helps us to focus, I think, our entire week on the fact that we're here not just to do our jobs, not just to get an education. We're here to serve Christ, to honor a God who loved us enough to send his son to die on that cross. So in this simple memorial feast, we're remembering his life and his lessons But again, especially his death and resurrection. I also think we're remiss, don't you? If all we talk about when we gather at the Lord's Supper table is his death. Because Jesus said, as often as you take, drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes. We're also, I think, focusing on the reality of Jesus coming again. There's going to come a time when, as Marshall Keeble used to say, the Lord will come with his big ring of keys and say, gentlemen, it's closing time. And so we're looking forward and not just backward when we observe the Lord's Supper. Let me mention four quick facts that I think will help us to appreciate the Lord's Supper and and what it memorializes and what it represents to us even more. Fact number one is that it is indestructible, though destroyed. I I know that needs some explaining. It's a law of nature that, that marble will slowly crumble. Bronze will tarnish. Dates will erode from headstones. Biographies go out of print. And streets and even buildings are renamed after the newest hero. The fact is, men's monuments don't last. But it is a testament, I think, to the Lord's wisdom and divine insight that this simple memorial feast has lasted 2,000 years. And not only that, if the Lord delays his return, it will continue to last until he comes back. We know that because he said so. At the same time, its component parts deteriorate within a few days. 
you know, if it's left unattended, the, the juice in the cup will ferment. If it's left unattended, the bread that we partake of that's unleavened will eventually mold. But interestingly enough, this memorial is indestructible precisely because, in, in a sense, we destroy it. Think about that. In, in a sense, God's children destroy the bread and the juice each Lord's Day, and we do that by consuming it. But then it becomes a part of us. So in that sense, it lives on. And as each generation commits the truth to the next generation, the supper will just keep on until the Lord comes back. Again, we know that because the Bible tells us so. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. By the way, one of the longest treatments in Scripture about the significance of the Lord's Supper is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Probably around the world, there are brothers reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11 right now as their particular congregations observe the Lord's Supper. But here's what the Lord said in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show my death, the Lord's death, what's this, till he comes. W.A. Griswell has written the following. I I thought it was worth sharing with you. He said, our Lord did not create a monument out of marble to bring to us the memory of our Savior's suffering on our behalf. In fact, this memorial is not in the form of any kind of structure. He did it in a primeval, fundamental, and basic way by our simple eating and drinking. And this simple memorial is to be repeated again and again and again. The broken bread recalls for us his torn body, and the crimson of the cup reminds us of the blood poured out upon the earth for the remission of sins. I think he's right on target. That is exactly what the Lord had in mind when he said, I want you to eat this bread, and I want you to drink this cup. Here's a second fact that I think we need to keep in mind, and that is it's universal, although it is, it is limited to one place. That is, when we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, we're doing it right here in Montgomery, Alabama. But literally around the world... There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are partaking of the same feast. Stalin's monument has never enjoyed popularity in America. I I will not reflect upon your intelligence by explaining why. (laughs) You know why. Robert E. Lee might be popular among some in the South, but north of the Mason-Dixon line, not so much. Dr. King is loved by many, but not by all. Hitler may continue to receive some honor in Germany, but the world still frowns on everything that he, that he was and that he stood for. The point is, there are few monuments that will receive universal support. In cities nationwide, countries worldwide, the communion is kept each Lord's Day. No other monument is in as many continents and countries and cities and communities as this simple meal that we as Christians enjoy. You know, part of the reason for that is because it's not limited to one place. Like a statue or it's not limited to one country like our observance of the Memorial Day. No Eastern land, no Western civilization can lay exclusive claim to it. And though it's limited to one place, it will be eaten by all in the Lord's universal kingdom. You may recall that just hours before his death, Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, This is verses 18, and also I'm going to skip down and read verse 30. Just before his death, Jesus said, For I say unto you, that you will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Think about that. 
It's not my intention to necessarily go in this direction, but I might point out that those who don't believe that the kingdom has yet been established are actually being quite inconsistent when they then partake of the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord said, you'll be doing this in my kingdom. If it hasn't been established yet, then there's no place for the Lord's Supper. We know better because of what the Bible tells us. Here's a third fact that we need to take into mind when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It gives life. But Paul said it also has the capacity to take life. It it, it provides, the communion obviously is life-giving. And it's not because of the nutrients in the bread and in the juice. What I'm saying is, in a very simple way, if you came in here hungry this morning, after the Lord's Supper, you're still going to be hungry. It is not intended to fill us up. It is not intended to satiate us, our physical body. Because it is spiritual in nature. Although it is physical in form, it is here for our spiritual benefit. So it's, it's life-giving. It provides nourishment for, for our bodies only in a limited sense, but especially strength for the soul. By remembering the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, commitments are renewed each week that we'll live for the Lord. At least I hope that's what we do. I hope every one of us, when we take the cup and when we eat of the bread... Each of us are recognizing the great sacrifice that our Lord has made for us. And that that will be an incentive for us to renew our commitment that this week I'm going to live for the Lord. Every one of us makes mistakes. We all have feet of clay. But if we can just renew that commitment every single Sunday morning when we take the Lord's Supper, I believe it will help us in our week and help us to live for God everywhere we are. And that we can be ambassadors for King Jesus as we walk in this world. But it also, also, Paul said, can be soul-condemning. And I I don't want to turn this negative, but I also need to introduce this dimension of the discussion because in 1 Corinthians 11, that we mentioned a moment ago, in verses 28 and 29, speaking of those who had partaken of the Lord's Supper unworthily, listen, listen to what Paul said. And this is a cautionary tale. This is a spiritual warning that Paul is giving to every Christian. Not just in the first century, but in the 21st century as well. Here's what he said. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks judgment one version actually says damnation to himself not discerning the lord's body and for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep i think we would all be in tacit agreement that the corinthian congregation was a congregation rife with problems i mean they had you could just name any categorical issue and the Corinth Church of Christ had it. I, I, you can imagine going to, to Corinth to worship one morning and coming home and telling your family, yeah, I, I worship with that new group of people down the road in, in Corinth, and some guy fell out drunk in the Lord's Supper table. That was happening. They had all kinds of difficulties, a bit, and yet the, one of the focuses that Paul makes in addressing those problems was you need to make sure that you keep your minds in the right place when you partake of the Lord's Supper. And then at the end of that admonition, he said, because for this cause, that is because of an abuse of the Lord's Supper, that many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Any, any commentary that you look at will tell you that the sleep there is a euphemism for death. So what Paul is saying is, some of you are looking to identify what your spiritual problem is. And you're asking yourself, why am I not closer to God than I was at this time last week or last year? It may well be because of an abuse or a failure to appreciate the Lord's Supper. There are some of you who have died spiritually 
because of an abuse of the Lord's Supper. That makes it serious business. And that's not intended to scare us, but it is intended to help us to appreciate how important this feast is. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a rare opportunity. It is an awesome opportunity for each of us to kind of renew our relationship with God and to be able to do that among the people who, who share a like precious faith. That just means that when we're, when we're properly taking of the Lord's Supper, then, then the Lord's Supper can give life. But if we're improperly taking, if our mind is somewhere else, we're not thinking about the significance of the emblems that we're partaking of, then it can destroy us by the process of spiritual erosion. And Paul said, I I don't want that to happen to anybody. And so just be warned and make sure that you're focusing on the right things when you take the Lord's Supper. Here's a final fact that I I want to talk about for just a minute. And that is, it's a memorial that's simple in a complex way. And I know that sounds kind of uh, counterproductive to itself, but... You know, even a child understands that the bread represents the bruised, lacerated, tortured body of our Lord. You can go in probably some of the youngest classes in this church building and you can ask a child, what, what does this, these two things represent? They can tell you what they are. A preschooler can, can see and appreciate the similarity in the juice in the cup to the Savior's blood. They don't have any difficulty understanding that, that symbolism. And at the same time, the depths of truth that surround the Lord's table Challenge the greatest of minds. I will guarantee you that the world at large does not understand the value and the importance of the Lord's Supper. Even some who claim to be Christians don't. Why why do you take it every Lord's Day? Because we need this spiritual strength and sustenance that's derived from this simple meal. But the world doesn't appreciate that. If they came in here for the very first time and walked into our building on any Sunday morning and saw us partaking of the Lord's Supper, they would think we're crazy. But you and I know exactly why the Lord instituted this meal. How does one comprehend love that is willing to die for the unlovable? That's kind of difficult to wrap your brain around, isn't it? And, and even if you're a child of God and you think on, on, in those terms, it's sometimes difficult to appreciate or at least to understand why the Lord was willing to do what he was willing to do. I don't know about you, but there are, there are some passages in scripture that I tend to, st- to stumble over, not because I, I don't understand them, but because I do. And, and Romans 5 verse 8 has got to be one of those passages that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if, if we demonstrated some kind of spiritual interest and some tendency to want to approach God, th- that would be different. But even while we were in rebellion, To put that in the terms of the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15, while we were still in the hog pen, God looked at us and said, I want those people as my own. I want them to be my sons and daughters in my spiritual family. That's that's hard to comprehend. And I believe that's one of the reasons why as we grow spiritually and as we come and we partake of this Lord's Supper each Sunday, it will mean more and more to us. Why did Jesus come to earth in the form of a man in the first place? Those are all questions that we need to ask and answer as we take of the Lord's Supper. And one of the things I want to mention before I quit this morning is, is the significance of blood in, in the Bible. Whether you're reading in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you can't escape the fact that blood is a vitally important element in God's plan to, to, to save lost humanity. 
We know from reading the Old Testament that God has always required blood to seal a covenant. And I can give you all kinds of passages that substantiate that idea. When the covenant at Sinai was given, the Bible says that uh, Moses actually sprinkled blood on the people. That's Exodus 24 verse 8. If you don't believe me, check it out for yourself. Can you imagine being in an audience? Where the speaker says, I want you to appreciate how God has worked for your salvation. And then he begins to sprinkle blood on people. That's amazing. Again, the world doesn't understand that. By the way, about that practice, John MacArthur has written the following. When God brought reconciliation with himself, the price was always blood. And that's because Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. A sacrificial animal not only had to be killed, but its blood had to be shed. For a life to truly be sacrificed, its blood had to be shed. Although Jesus did not bleed to death, he bled both before he died and as he died. From the wounds of the crown of thorns, from the lacerations of the scourging, from the nail holes in his hands and in his feet. After he was dead, a great volume of his blood poured out. From the spear thrust into his side. The blood symbolized the giving of his unblemished, pure, and holy righteous life for the corrupt, sinful lives of unregenerate men. I think he's right on target. The Lord said, I want you to always remember the blood that I shed for you as I hung on that old rugged cross. Jesus even mentions his blood in connection with the Lord's Supper in Scripture in, in Matthew 26 and also, not surprisingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The cup reminds us each week of, of the horror of sin and of the price that must be paid f- by someone for our sin. Someone must pay that penalty. And so we're then reminded every seven days that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. You and I owed a debt that we could not pay and that Jesus did for us on that old cross what we could never in a thousand eternities do for ourselves. The juice reminds us of the great price that was paid to purchase his eternal church. Acts 20 verse 28 says that, that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. And it reminds each believer of the moment when we're washed clean in the blood of the lamb and the waters of baptism. I hope those are things that at least go through our minds when we, when we gather around the table on Sunday morning and partake of the Lord's Supper. And it should help us, I think, each week to renew our commitment to live faithfully in his service because of our deep, deep gratitude for all that he has sacrificed for us. And it should also remind us weekly to continue to walk in the light so that his blood will keep on cleansing us from all sin. That's 1 John 1. And verse 7. You know, the older we get and the longer we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, I think the more grateful we should become for the wonderfully appropriate symbolism of the Lord's Supper. Years ago, there was a preacher in Dallas, Texas, who was visiting in the home of one of the wealthier members of his congregation. And as they stood in the beautiful Walnut Pandal Library, the preacher saw an, an oval picture of a young woman hanging on the wall. And and, and as the man who owned the house and the painting, or the picture, saw him looking at it, he said, as he pointed to the picture, he said, that's that's my mother. And he went on to say, I I never saw her. She died in childbirth as she was giving birth to me. 
And someday when I get to heaven, after I've seen my Lord, I want to look on the face of my mother. The preacher later wrote as he was reflecting on that conversation, you know, if I wanted to be technical about it, I could have said, what are you talking about? That's not your mother. That's just a piece of cardboard and ink you know, behind a frame. That's not your mother. But he said, I did nothing of the kind because I knew exactly what he was talking about. What he meant was that picture represents my sweet mother. I never saw her, but someday in heaven, I'll see her face to face. And I will love her immensely for giving her life for me. He then concluded, it is exactly so with our own Lord Jesus. This is his body and this is his blood. And it pictures our Lord until that precious, beautiful day in heaven when we will see him face to face. And we will be able to thank him for giving his life for us. My point is simply this. You do not have to book a flight. You do not have to board a ship. You do not have to travel at all to see the world's greatest monument. It will come to you each Sunday morning as long as time stands and until the Lord returns. O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns thine only crown. How art thou pale with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn? How dost that visage language which once was bright as morn? What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? I love this last verse. Oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. If you will, take out your emblems. Let's reflect on what we've talked about as we partake of the bread. And let's remember the words of our Lord. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Bow with me. Gracious Father, we are grateful. In fact, our hearts cannot hold our love and our words cannot express our deep appreciation for what you have done. We know it was your son who died upon that cross, but we know that it was you that allowed that sacrifice to take place. We will be forever more grateful. And Father, as we partake of this bread, help it to truly nourish and strengthen us spiritually and to renew our commitment to you as we look forward to the Lord's return. In his name we pray. Amen.
The song says, we gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. That is so very true. In the hearts of every child of God, the significance of these simple emblems burns true. This morning, as we partake of of the juice, I hope that you will remember the blood that Jesus shed on that old rugged cross. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you. Knowing that while water and other liquids can sustain our physical lives, only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us and make us pure spiritually. We're grateful, Father, that even though he lived 2,000 years ago, all these years later, we can gather as your people and we can partake of this simple feast and we can remember the significance of that sacrifice and the magnanimous love that prompted it. And for that, we are indeed grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. When I was a boy, which was a long, long time ago, I remember hearing preachers talk about giving being an act of worship. And I I really couldn't understand that because in my immature mind, I was thinking of giving as it's pay-up time. Now that I'm older, I've matured past that point, thankfully. And I know that this is an act of worship because there's nothing that enlarges our hearts like the ability to give to a cause greater than ourselves. You and I are able to do that. Since the pandemic, of course, we've had to find ways in order to be able to, to make that happen. There are boxes in both foyers you can give online, but I trust that you will give with a cheerful heart. Let's pray together as we thank God for our blessings. Father, we are thankful that you loved us and that we've been able to commemorate that love and that sacrifice for each of us by partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning. And Father, one way that we can reflect and demonstrate our love to you and for your cause is by the way we give, not just what we give, but, the, but how we give. And Father, as we've, as we've purposed in our hearts this week, and as we give in just a moment, we pray, Father, that you will bless us in, in the giving of that gift. 
Help it to enlarge our hearts and help each of us by giving to your kingdom and to its work to remember each day how important, how first place and how high of priority that seeking the kingdom should be in our lives. For that, we're grateful for all of our blessings. We are indeed grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So grateful that you're here this morning. We appreciate, in particular, those of you who are visiting with us, and we hope that you'll stay around long enough that we can meet you after the final amen is said. And especially to have our our students back and our incoming freshmen, it is an absolute pleasure and a blessing to have you here as well. Our Lord offered the great invitation And it is, in fact, the invitation that is open 24-7. There is no time when the doors to the kingdom are closed. At 3 o'clock in the morning, if a a person who wants to be a child of God decides now's the time that I need to get my life right, then they can do it then because that clock never runs out. There will come a time, however, when we'll have no more opportunities. And the Lord's word should be all the more significant to us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I suspect in an audience this size, there is somebody that needs that rest, that spiritual rest, to lay your burdens down, to lay your sins aside, to allow the Lord to carry those sins because they've been washed away and they're no longer in your accounting book. This morning, if you're not a child of God and you decide that you want to follow Jesus from this day forward, or if you've been a child of God for some time and you know that you're off track, you need to come back and make a second run at Calvary. Now's your opportunity to do just that while we stand and while we sing.